the newsroom of The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, November 24th. So just to start, I'm hoping that you both can kind of introduce yourselves. Who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? Um, Just a little bit about you. Um, And maybe Jennifer, if you want to start. Oh, (laughs) I was going to say let Bongo. My name is Jennifer Anderson. I'm from Maryville, Indiana. I am a mother, a wife, and well, currently a stay-at-home mom and wife. My name is Vandetta Taylor. I am from Chicago, Illinois. I am a single mother of a six-year-old little handsome prince. I, too, am a stay-at-home mom now, um, helping my son learn virtually and um, trying to generate revenue from home as well. So I'm a stay-at-home mom as well. Vondetta and Jennifer met 20 years ago as students in Chicago. Vondetta was training to be a chef. Jennifer was working toward a career in broadcasting. How would you describe each other? I would describe, I guess Vondetta is um, ambitious, determined. She's really focused, just so like, and she's not afraid of challenge. Let's say that. It's always awesome to hear your your close circle describe you like, what is she going to say? Um, <laughs> and I didn't pay her, I swear. <laughs> um, when I think of Jen, um, she's the big sister that I never wanted. She is a serial entrepreneur. It's so funny the way that she described me. I see that in her. I can't think of anything that we've ever discussed that she did not at least give it her all, give it a full attempt. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let me ask this, and, and thinking back to before you both had uh, had your sons, um, like what did did you talk about your future back then, or like what were you sort of like thinking? And, and again, like thinking back to kind of um, closer to to when you met and in your early twenties, like how did you envision your life, and what were your goals back then, and and what did you see of of what your life would be like in the future? I would say that the only thing that it's probably the same now is that I would be married with a child. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's about it. Um, this current situation is was not the stay-at-home mom life was not anything that I ever thought I would do. Vondetta and Jennifer had wanted fulfilling careers. They'd wanted life partners and they'd wanted kids. And they got a lot of those things. Jennifer, now 41, got married, moved to Indiana, had a son, and started working in IT. Mondetta, now 38, gave birth to a son that she would raise alone while selling insurance full-time. Balancing motherhood and their careers was not easy or glamorous, but they were doing it. It was moving parts, but they moved. Um, I could drop my kid off. You know, one of my parents would pick him up. I would swing by and pick him up after work, you know. It worked. (laughs) And then the pandemic hit, and it all fell apart. In the beginning, because there was no written verbal expectation, it was like, we understand, you have the circumstance, you know, make a few calls, you know, keep up with your customers, take whatever files you need. And, you know, then they set up the system where they can kind of monitor you. Then they put in some expectations. And I believe at the time it was 100 calls a day. 100 calls a day? Minimum. 
And that was that what you were doing before this started? No, I'm an insurance agent. <laughs> so, of course, I would have, you know, people come in and I can start a conversation and offer a quote. And if you like it, fine. And if you don't, fine. But, I, you know, never did I sit in an office and make 100 costs per day. Never. Blondetta says that her bosses started telling her that she was underperforming and that she wasn't making enough calls. She felt that they didn't understand what she was going through at home, the amount of effort it takes to just get a kid through the day. It was just ridiculous, and I resented it. And I was let go for performance, which I was very okay with because I would much rather take care of my son. Jennifer was also struggling with how to do everything at once. The teacher had a website, and there was, like, no communication. It was like she sent out a message, go to the website and do all this work. And learning kept going for the entire mm-hmm. time. And I was like, is she going to teach him or is this me? <laughs> um, yeah. And like she would have a Zoom once a week just to say, hey, but not mm-hmm. to teach. So it was, it was basically all on you. Yeah. And I was like, absolutely. Um, I'm te- and then I'm paying tuition. So on top oh. of that. You know, you're like, I'm paying to do this. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm yeah. so, you know, like that the checks kind of got a little harder to write, you know, because I'm paying, you know, to teach my child. I can do that for free. But <laughs> <laughs> so she did. She and her husband decided that she would homeschool their son and that she would quit her job. So it was very frustrating um, to balance both. And then I did find myself. Because they were paying me, I let my child, like, get the brunt of my frustration. Huh. What, what, what do you mean by that? So I found myself, like, he would ask me to, like, help him with his work. And I'm like, I'm making, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to, like, do these flyers mm-hmm. and update date this stuff. You're going to have to wait. And he's like, but mommy, I'm like, do you see, you know, and I feel like, <laughs> I, yeah, like, I was taking my frustration out on him. And that, it's not mm-hmm. fair. It wasn't fair to him. And I was like, you know, he didn't understand. You know, he's nine. And so, like, he's an only child. So, like, no social interaction. You can't play with nobody. There's nobody here in the house for him to even communicate with but me. And I'm working and, like, yelling at him for asking me a question or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's and that wasn't fair. Did you feel like you had to be asking yourself this question constantly of like, today I have to choose to be good at my job or I have to choose to be a good mom? And that like those two things cannot happen on the same day. Not only that, I had made a decision and I needed to brace myself for whatever would come with the decision. I had made a decision that I was no longer going to beat myself up about whatever type of interaction that I needed to have with my son, which would cause whatever type of performance for my job. I chose my son over my job. And just like that, Vendetta and Jennifer became part of this legion of American women leaving the workforce. What we saw was that in September alone, which is, of course, the month when kids are supposed to be returning to school, but largely did not this year, over 860,000 women dropped out of the labor force. And that is compared to just over 200,000 men. And since the beginning of the pandemic, more than 2 million women have left the labor force. That's Ellen McCarthy, a feature reporter for The Post. And right now it is... 37 at night. Ellen, why are we recording at 8.37 at night? Because my children are finally in bed. I 
I don't know that they're asleep. They're probably not asleep, but they are not physically in the room with me at the moment. And so that allows me to talk to you. And this feels very appropriate to this interview because tell me what we're talking about. We are talking about the extraordinary number of women who have left the workforce um, since this pandemic began and as a result of this pandemic. As a mom myself, um, I have three kids, two of whom are school-aged, and privately, it's the only conversation that's happening. It's, it's the one that's happening in my personal life at all hours of the day, on the playground, in Slack with colleagues, with my spouse, with my editors and my boss, just how, how do we grapple with this? How do we manage this? And so, you know, I think a lot of us sort of were able to get by in the spring and get by in the summer, but then once school went back into session and we were really expected to, to do school in a, in a way that mattered in a way that counted um, mm-hmm. and do our jobs, I think it just came crashing down on on a lot of people. And so it, it started to seem like a moment where it needed to move from a conversation to a real reporting endeavor. So talk me through a little bit of the factors and circumstances that women in particular are dealing with that makes them come to this point of making a decision of whether or not they need to leave the workforce. Pre-pandemic, the conversation among among working moms was, this is so hard. This is nearly impossible. I'm so strapped. You know, I'm barely juggling it all and I'm letting balls fall. And then all of a sudden, school was out of session. Daycare wasn't available. People didn't feel comfortable having babysitters come into their homes. They no longer had access to resources like grandparents and aunts and uncles. So all of a sudden, women were still doing all of the extra housework that we're doing, still doing our jobs, and then all of a sudden taking over as educators, disciplinarians, extracurricular guides, you know, gym teachers, cafeteria workers. And so all of a sudden we went from doing what maybe felt like three jobs to all of a sudden feeling like we were doing, you know, six or seven jobs in any given day. And I think one thing that I've heard in conversations just from moms that I know is this sense that like no one is coming in to help this situation, that like people are just sort of expected to figure out a solution when really there is no solution. Yeah, there really is no solution and there really is no resources. I mean, I think, you know, some daycare centers have opened back up and so that's helped um, some women. But for women with school-age kids in districts where either it hasn't opened back up or for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable sending your children or you're in a position like a lot of parents are today where maybe they tried, schools tried to open up and then are having to, to shut down. It's sort of back to square one. And the truth is, you know, I think a lot of employers were really flexible and understanding at the beginning, but then a lot of that flexibility kind of went away as the months ticked on and bosses and employers started to expect pre-pandemic levels of productivity out of women, even though nothing had changed in the women's situation. They were still having to do six or seven jobs at home and trying to juggle that. It was horrible. It was tense. It was unrealistic. It was just full of anxiety and unrest. And it still is to an extent. It's just that we're in month, what, six or seven of it. And I just, we're numb and immune to it. It's just such a pressure cooker. And it took 
and is taking just a huge toll on women emotionally. And it is not easy to feel like you are failing on all fronts day after day after day. It's just not easy. And ultimately, something has to give. And I think that what we really found is that this is not a a choice that women are making. Women aren't saying, oh yes, I'm really foregoing my career to focus on my kids. It's not that. You don't, there's no option to not be a mom, right? There's not really an option to not educate your kids. Like you can go to jail for that, right? <laughs> like, so there's only really one option left on the table, which is to step back from your career. But the implications of that are also disastrous. Well, I'm curious what some of the conversations were like that you had about what it was like for women to be making this decision. So my name is Faith. I live in the Upper West Side in Manhattan. I live in a fifth floor walk-up with uh, my husband and our one-year-old baby. Um, It has been a time. I have to say my very first interview doing this reporting was with Faith, who lives in New York City, was a um, striking interview for me because she had sort of experienced it all. She had had her first baby last fall and had the elation of that and had a maternity leave and then dove back into the workforce and had adjusted to all of the things that women adjust to, right? She was trying to juggle pumping and you know carrying her workload and commuting and doing daycare drop-offs and just the, you know, the whole dance. It turned out that they never actually hired the person to cover for my mat leave. And so the rest of the team had kind of just tried to pick up whatever they could. And then a number of projects that I had, you know, like made progress on before I left, but like hadn't quite gotten to finish because, you know, baby, like those things hadn't gotten done. And so I came back and and then the pandemic struck and all of a sudden it 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 just it had this multiplier effect for her and her stress level because she still had to do her full job but now she had to do it while also caring for an infant and even though she had a really engaged husband there just were certain things that necessarily fell to her right she was going to be the one who nursed she was going to be the one who pumped um and meanwhile she was still expected to do her same level of work and even more so. Our workload had even increased due to COVID because all of a sudden we were running webinars and like had to figure out how to use Zoom and, you know, have these staff meetings and, uh, you know, the website needed updated constantly. And it was just so, yeah, so the workload ballooned. My available resources in terms of everything like decreased the pressure just kept ratcheting up for her. And she would talk about how she, you know, would find herself putting her baby down to sleep and then just immediately falling asleep at 9 p.m. after. Because I knew that I had two, maybe more hours of just like housework to do at the end of the day that had to get done because, you know, I needed my, like, so I was pumping breast milk. So I had to clean my pump parts and I had to clean the bottles and like do the bottles for the next day. And, 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 and so I would just feel like I couldn't do it. And so, yeah, I'd go to bed at like nine or 10 and then get up at midnight or one and then go back to bed at three. And of course, broken sleep isn't good. And, uh, it was just, it was really, really taking a toll. And she 
really tried to find solutions. Like a lot of women are, right? She went to her boss and asked for flexible hours. She asked to go part-time. She talked to her HR department and at every turn, she heard no, you know, there wasn't going to be flexibility for her. But she, gosh, she had worked really hard to to get into this career. And so she wanted to salvage it. I think I felt scared because work is such a big part of my identity. Maybe not that job specifically, but just working. Like I'm a, a person who works. I work hard. I do a good job. I do my best. I care about the people I work with. Um, that's just, that's just what I do. But as time went on, it just became an impossible situation. And, and, and ultimately, it, it turned into a real mental health crisis for her. You know, her, her thinking got darker and darker until she knew that she, she had to quit her job in order to survive mentally. You know, I'm, I kind of pride myself on being calm in a crisis and working really hard and pulling things together and just being able to get the job done and... I just wasn't able to. And I, you know, I was having a mental health crisis is, is what, <laughs> is what happened. Like I noticed myself and this is, you know, even like weeks or maybe a couple of months before I said anything, like I was starting to feel like I wanted to cry or throw up all the time. Like I started having these episodes where I felt lightheaded. Like my husband had to like walk me to our bed one night to, like just to lie down for a bit. So I'd have energy to get up again and do my night chores. Another woman told us that she is praying for the rapture. She's praying for the rapture because that mm. is the only way she can see out of this predicament, right? Is mm. to wipe us all off the face of the earth. I mean, it's bad. It's just, it's really bad for women. And so when we then talked to women who had left the workforce, a lot of them felt scared. A lot of them felt sad, deeply sad. But I have to tell you, most of them felt some sense of relief, hmm. right? That, okay, this is going to be hard, but I don't have to feel like I'm failing at so many things every day. Honestly, um, I felt joy and relief. And I don't know if that's a fair term to say, but I really did. Like, I felt like a thousand pounds had been lifted off of me. I was so happy. Like, I was like running around the house and like just felt free. And like, my son was like, what's the matter with you? I was like, I just quit my job. And like, people were calling me. <laughs> and I was calling people with like, my friend's dad was like, oh yeah, she went on a um, job interview. And I was like, well, I quit my job. Her dad was like, are you happy about that? <laughs> the ability to choose that and just really put my whole heart and self into it has been wonderful. Like, I like myself as a mom. I think I'm kind of good at it. And it's really nice to feel that way. <sighs> But 
But I also wonder why this decision and these feelings are so disproportionately on women. And obviously, there are many moms who are not in partnerships. There are many moms who don't have male partners. But for those that do, it does seem like it's usually the mom and not the dad who is weighing, like, should I be focused on parenting during these extreme and kind of unprecedented times? Or should I try to continue to pursue my dreams? Yeah. Yeah. And it, there's no question that that it this has really brought to light how far we have to go still in terms of our gender dynamics. Because even though dads for sure have stepped up more in this generation than in past generations, it is still women that are carrying the load and, and are often the default parent. Well, I'm wondering if you had those conversations with the people that you interviewed about as they were reaching this point of deciding whether or not they needed to quit their jobs in this moment, if there was any part of that conversation that was like, maybe you, husband, should be the person who quits your job in this moment. Yeah. You know, I remember asking Jennifer in particular that, right? Because I, she was the higher wage earner and she said, oh no, we never even considered it. And if, I think for a lot of families, that's the truth. You know, which what she said is, I'm the more patient one. I'm more naturally inclined to this. I am the organizer and the home manager, I guess that makes sense. So kind of need the <laughs> home manager here as opposed mm-hmm. to like, because what would happen even when I was working, it was like, yes, he was the primary caregiver, but I still was managing home. Mm-hmm. And so like it's all the like the mental work and the like making sure X, Y, Z is going to get done. I almost rather had done it myself anyway but I'm thankful for him <laughs> during that time but it was like a lot of micromanaging kind of deal and I think that by the time your kids get to school you probably as a woman are naturally inclined to that now I don't know that that's because it is instinctual or if it's because you have become practiced because people have called you with those doctor's appointments and those ballet requests and can you sign up for PTA and then by the time it comes around to, to this making this decision, you are better at it, right? And the kids do turn to you for these kinds of questions. And so it's it goes back to that word default. You, you have become the default teacher, the default mm. principal. So yeah, I feel like we divided it as equitably as we could. Um, but yeah, so like getting her up in the morning, putting her to bed at night, that was, that was still me. Do you feel like it was actually equitable? So... Our work is just different, you know, like the house, like taking care of the house and doing like all the night chores, right? Like cleaning the pump parts and making sure everything gets in the dishwasher, making the bottles the next day. Like it's, it's different kind of work than being on the computer or whatever. So, um, so even though we both had computer jobs, I was also doing this housework and we had like talked about like maybe he's going to do the bottles in the evening but like that really only only takes about 10 minutes it's just kind of part of the whole thing and it just like it didn't make sense to have him do this one thing where while I was just kind of like in the middle in the flow of all of doing it so I don't know I mean equitable in in what sense in terms of like time spent like hours I don't know. I mean, I definitely had moments where I was like, why am I doing everything? But I, 
I think everybody in a relationship has those moments. Like, why am I doing everything? Like, even I'm sure he has his moments. Like, you know, he's got to go and like do the big grocery shop and haul things up five floors of stairs. And, you know, it takes hours. (laughs) I I wonder if it's worth uh, taking a second to just talk a little bit more in detail about single moms as well. Um, Because it feels like for them, what is the, the like emergency release valve, right? Like, if you don't have a partner, but you also can't do two jobs at one time, what do you do? This is why there is, there's no choice, right? If you're a single mom, what are you supposed to do? If, if you cannot send your kids to school and you aren't making $200,000 a year and can afford to, you know, hire tutors and have a pod or have a full-time nanny, what is your option? Your option is not to let your kids stay at home alone. That's another thing you can get arrested for, right? And so your option is to leave your job, you know, even if it means going on unemployment, even if it means like having to stand in line, you know, at a food bank. Vendetta for you, um, because you you don't have a partner who's going to take mm-hmm. on kind of primary breadwinning responsibilities right now. What can I ask, like what your plan is or, you know, how you've been getting through at least the last couple of months? So um, I had a little bit of savings that no longer exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was let go in July. Unemployment didn't kick in until September. Um, so I still am a licensed agent in a few states and I try to do some independent, um, work on the side. So I sell some health insurance plans, but it, it is a huge juggle. Um, cause I got to start work. Okay. For an hour, stop, get my son up, cook him breakfast, get him ready for school, then work another hour, then stop, then cook lunch and, and get him, you know, keep him focused and then work for two hours and stop. So what, you know, what job are you going to get that's going to give you that type of flexibility? And it all sounds great on paper when you're interviewing, but who's really going to give you that type of, you know, flexibility that I need? It feels in so many ways like the pandemic has really pulled back the curtain and laid bare a lot of the weaknesses in like how our society functions. And I feel like this is such a good example of that, both in terms of how much when push comes to shove, the hardest decisions still land on the shoulders of women, but also the sense that we all are kind of told this myth that like we can have it all and we can be working moms and also be great moms and also like feel like we can pursue all of our career ambitions and do all of that at once without dropping any balls. And I don't think that that's ever been true. But now it feels like we are having to reckon more openly with the fact that it's not true. And especially when you take school out of the situation and when the circumstances become more dire, that it's especially kind of like a laughable myth. Yeah, it 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 it, it kind of is a laughable myth. And I think that all women sort of come to that understanding once they start doing it and they and they see that they can't have it all really because most women who are trying to have it all have very little for themselves, right? Maybe they're able to give enough to their kids and their families and their jobs, but then they have almost nothing left over for themselves. And I think that I think a lot of us have been telling ourselves that it's okay and we can do it all. And we 
kind of are holding it all together, but boy, it was a really thin thread and that thread broke. I'm curious what you've heard about what this kind of mass exodus of women from the workforce could potentially mean for the future. Yeah. Um, Of course, we don't know, right? We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know when school is going to come back in session. We don't know how long these women are going to be out of the workforce or how quickly the economy will recover. So there are a lot of unknowns. but, But what the economists that I spoke to think is that it's of course going to be devastating. It's going to be devastating for them individually, right? These women who are tapping into their 401ks, who are totally depleting their savings, who are having to, you know, think about defaulting on their mortgages, make really difficult financial decisions that are incredibly hard to to bounce back from. But we also know that when you step back from the workforce, it is very challenging to step back into it. Right? And so for every month that these women stay out of it, it's going to be that much harder for them to go back in when they want to go back in. Nobody is saving their seats, for, for most of them anyway. And so they're going to have to claw their way back and they may not go back at the same level they were in before. And so that, of course, hurts them, right? Because they're not getting raises, they're not getting promotions, but it also hurts the women coming up behind them who are not going to have them as advocates, who are not going to have them as mentors, who are not going to fight for those younger women to get chances and opportunities and and promotions. And so women still don't make as much uh, on the dollar as men. And so we're not going to close that gap anytime soon. So are there any potential solutions here? I do think that we have to start looking at this societally. And thinking beyond the pandemic, because we may not be able to solve it before a vaccine comes along, but we may be able to do better down the road, right? There are things we can put in place. Universal childcare, maternity and paternity leave, both make them equal, right? Make the dad's time equal to the mom's so that we both have the same opportunity to step up. I think universal pre-K education, anything you can do to, to help families as a whole helps women. So do you think that there is going to be that kind of long-term change or that the fact that so much of this is coming to a pressure point, that that's going to wake people up to some of the structural changes that need to happen or the ways in which the positions that we put women in are so often untenable? I mean, I hope, I hope, I think that's what we have to hope. Um, Otherwise, this all will be for naught. I think we're taking baby steps. I think that we have taken baby steps for a long time. And, you know, realistically, I think we'll probably continue to take baby steps, but they're in the right directions. And I do think that employers will lose valuable women and hopefully that will be a wake-up call to them that they need to change or they're gonna lose out on some amazing leaders who won't be there when they need them to be there i can see like you know in my in my most hopeful moments i can see this situation kind of liberating people from having to just pretend that they are well, like when they're at work they're they're just a worker and they're not like a person 
outside of that. And I think it would be great if, yeah, if if workplaces became a little bit more human and human-centered as a result of, of this, that would be a nice silver lining. Ellen, can I ask, have you thought about leaving the workforce right now? Oh my gosh. I, I had a conversation with my, with Liz Seymour, who is my boss. And I said, well, at the beginning of September, it was like 12 times a day that I thought I need to call Liz and tell her I'm quitting my job. And now it's only like two. So like the trajectory is going in the right direction. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel good about that. <laughs> Um, and and she said, I wouldn't let you quit your job, right? And that's the power of having a woman as a boss. Ellen McCarthy is a feature writer for The Post. This story was produced by Rennie Svernovsky. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. On tomorrow's episode, we're continuing this series on the effects of the pandemic. And we're talking to kids about how they feel about remote learning. Hi, my name is Ingrid, and I'm interviewing my youngest sibling. Sophia. Sophia, how old are you? Nine. Is there anything that you want to tell the world about school? It sucks. But stay in it. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Washington Post. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post. 